Looking at the private credit market today, we know that money is pretty cheap with low interest rates, especially in U.S. and in Europe. How can those in the private credit area prepare for a shift in that scenario? And how can greater ESG information help those in the private credit and private equity areas? Here to discuss this and much more around asset management in general with us is Mathieu Chabron, co-founder of TKO Capital. Mathieu, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kisa. Hello. So I know TKO is launching a private equity decarbonization fund focused on North America. Let's first talk about why ESG in asset management is particularly important. Yeah, well, that's a key, uh, you know, that's a great first question, you know, here, uh, Kisa. Um, you know, on the back of all the, you know, discussion and, 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 and all this thinking about, you know, this decarbonization and this ESG and this uh, energy transition, you know, at stakes, uh, global asset managers have the capacity and the responsibility to shape the solution. You know, we view this as a, actually, you know, this transition as the biggest investment opportunity of the last 50 years. Um I think there is a shared responsibility for all of us, including uh, those in the asset management industry, you know, to rethink all parts of our business models. If you take uh, some 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 industry uh, uh, studies, you know, if you according to the uh, uh, International Energy Agency, uh, their estimates, the investment required to effectively transition is 10% of global savings. And, and asset managers, they do control those global savings. So we are talking about, let's say, 9 trillion uh, uh, US dollars that needs to be deployed to unlock, collect, and root global savings in the right direction. It seems like, you know, a big number in absolute terms, but in relative terms, Kisa, it's, you know, only 10% of this global savings. So this is serious money, and it's not just about, you know, one company's effort. Um, incremental change by a few won't get us, you know, to where we need to go. And this is why, you know, really the whole industry, the whole asset management industry has to come together to reach these goals. So, Mathieu, let's talk specifically about PE. Are there hurdles or challenges in conversations with entrepreneurs about ESG as to why it's vital to PE? Well, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take actually the, the opposite side. I, I think that there are more um, opportunities than uh, challenges. Um, with our equity investment, for example, the objective is to scale up. And, and by design, many of these companies we work are already, you know, fully ESG, you know, compliant. So we are finally at a point where uh, entrepreneurs, and partly uh, I would say in the uh, in the US, which has lagged uh, lagged historically, they have begun to to recognize the the importance of acting against climate change, and are ready to contribute to to this effort in a in a meaningful way. And, you know, when, when we are focused on helping them understand the immediate need for uh, decarbonization to achieve these goals, uh, you know, and the goals I'm referring you know, to the one, you know, set up in the, in the Paris Agreement, you know, the, the, the goals that have been reset by the new administrations here. So the, the, the sources of um, uh, energy consumptions, consumptions are, are, are changing to renewable source, you know, from the, the fossil-based fuels. And so the question is how long the shift will take um, and, and what is the best and, and most responsible path? So we believe that the sooner it can happen, the better. And we are at TKO investing to make that uh, effectively a reality. So it's, it's crucial to invest in pragmatic solutions that can be 
apply today uh, that will work in concert with what is being developed for the future. So uh, I would say there are, you know, these entrepreneurs you are, you know, referring to. I mean, there are many companies that are making great strides with this. I mean, partly in in meeting, you know, the players, you know, where where, where they are. Uh, I'll give you one example, a company called Green Yellow, which is a solutions-based in Europe, in Paris specifically, that we've invested in. And and they were focused on working with retail, food, and logistics companies to transition toward a a lower cost and lower emission energy consumptions. And so what does it mean in practice? You know, it's effectively going to the, Big shopping mall, retail space, you know, installing some, uh, you know, some, 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 some panels using the roof and then, you know, using the grid to, uh, to, to maximize the, uh, uh, energy efficiency, you know, in the shop. So effectively more and more, you know, it's just an example I'm taking Kisa, you know, when talking to those entrepreneurs, those innovators, it's definitely more opportunity than challenges and they all get that. Okay, so in talking about these entrepreneurs, it sounds like, to your point, they're innovators, so they see opportunities. Glass is always half full. Let's take that theory. I'm wondering if we look at private credit and direct lending, the impact there. Um, People are really focused on just answering the question, can you pay us back our money? Is it as simple as that? Or in the private credit market, do we see the conversation going further when it comes to direct lending impact? I actually think that, you know, on a, a, a pri- pro- private credit, um, we, we are, um, uh, we, we are seeing this, a similar trend, you know, for, for quite some time and maybe all the more, you know, on the back of the, uh, very accommodating policy, uh, uh, that we've been enjoying for the, for the past 10 years, uh, lending, uh, uh, has become some kind of a commodity. And today, even the lending and the, I mean, the borrowing, let's say from a, from a, from an entrepreneur standpoint, uh, can be, uh, uh can be in, in impactful, right? Because I would say that, um, um, any entrepreneur, you know, now realizes that, you know, you have to be sustainable to be profitable. This is the new paradigm, you know, for, uh, uh, for today. And that they, they realize that all stakeholders, you know, the clients, the customers, the shareholders, their lenders, you know, expect you effectively to be, uh, uh, to be sustainable. Otherwise there's too much, you know, too much at, uh, uh at risk. So w- what we are seeing more and more in credit is that, uh, this impact lending is basically being, uh, uh, provided with some ratchets. Okay. So you've got your credit metrics, your credit ratings. And then what if you do meet the goals, the extra financial goals that you have set yourself, you know, with your lenders that will improve your cost of funding? And obviously, if you reduce your cost, your cost of funding by meeting some ESG targets, well, guess what? Your return on equity will improve uh, accordingly. So you see that net-net, there are some very interesting, uh, very interesting movements happening not only on the private equity but also on the private credit in order to maximize the allocation to where you can do good and be impactful. Mm. So clearly the benefits there um, is when we can really are those in that space can really reduce the cost of funding and return on equity improve. So clearly the benefit there. I'd love to talk a bit about TKO specifically. You're now in 16 countries in terms of what you're seeing when you're talking to um, your stakeholders. How do you see things rolling out differently as it relates to ESG in these different countries? Yeah, that's uh very interesting, you know, uh, question, Kisa, because effectively, so we, we come from Europe. We're now here in the U.S. 
we uh, we've been having a, an interesting footprint in, in Asia, and uh, as much as these uh, uh, ESG challenges uh, are global, you're right that there is different uh, uh, perception, uh, which can be uh, uh, very cultural. Sometimes, you know, depends on the uh, on the jurisdiction. It's really about how can you best adapt to make sure that you meet. The, uh, um, uh, the objectives that an investor in any given geography jurisdiction, you know, is, is, is pursuing. So we like to say that, uh, in Europe, clearly there's been, uh, uh, um, I, I think we've been, we've been leading on the, uh, environmental, for example, right? Uh, when here, you know, in the US, my experience lately has been more, you know, on the social, right? So, uh, I mean, you, you see that there are some, some different, different approach. Uh, uh, which are, you know, by the way, all, all aiming, you know, for the same, uh, for the same goals and, uh, and objective, but with a different, uh, uh, different criteria. So the, the challenge is a, is a global one, but we have to tackle it locally, as I said, with a, uh, let's say local workforce and, you know, market specific approaches so that we are, I would like to say, you know, energized by the differences each geography brings to tackle this issue, right? So for, you know, for, for, for example, at TKO, we've been developing uh, some geographical thematics, uh, effectively mega funds, if I may say, to decarbonize our system. We started in, uh, we started in Europe. Uh, we raised, you know, more than a billion uh, euro on a first-time fund targeting energy transition, which was, you know, a very interesting uh, uh, milestone and achievement. We're replicating that now, you know, in North America, approaching, trying to replicate, you know, the best practice, but uh, 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 tailoring that to the uh, uh, to the uh, uh, U.S. market. While Europe has been, you know, ahead of the U.S., We've seen U.S. policy turn in favor of the Paris, uh, uh, Paris Climate Accord, you know, the, the Paris Agreement, and, and reaching global climate emission goals. So the tide is turning, you know, for, for, for investors. And already we are seeing growing investor interest in the U.S. for each of our, let's say, areas of focus. So the energy efficiency of industry, Building renovation, remember that real estate is probably the biggest source of uh, greenhouse gases emissions. So building renovation, you know, it's not, I'm sorry to say, you know, it's not rocket science, but it has a huge impact on, on emission and reducing emission. Um, development of distributed renewable source of energy, you know, how do you develop that and, and, and distribute? Um, um, I would say that the penetration also of low carbon mobility, there's a lot of uh, uh, innovation on that front, obviously, you know, on the EV side, and that's a key, uh, that's a key area of, uh, of focus. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, obviously the, the reduction of uh, methane leakage uh, linked to the shale gas and LNG export supply chain. So we see, we see, if you will, focus around all of those, uh, uh, all of those industry. And whilst they're all aimed for the same goal and objective, they can be tackled differently depending on where, you know, your, your, your focus. So th- that's why, you know, it's our conviction that in the next uh, 10 years, uh, impact and Climate action will drive returns across geography, and that's why we need to tackle that, you know, very, uh, you know, very locally. So it's as much as, and that's why, you know, having Kisa, let's say, a global team, very diverse culturally, you know, in terms of uh, uh, nationalities, you know, is really uh, is really fueling the way you can approach that and be best positioned to, to make sure that you can address. Every single investor uh, uh, objective, you know, locally. So uh, uh, it's it's 
very interesting. It's, it's fascinating to be able, you know, to navigate both sides of the ocean, at least for Europe and, uh, uh, and the US, uh, and operating within this new, uh, um, administration framework here in the US represents here again, you know, a historical, uh, opportunity. So it's very interesting, Machu. I know here in the U.S. specifically with our new administration, there has been a focus on a multi-pronged focus, climate change, um, energy with the new infrastructure um, information and infrastructure development that the president's rolling out, as well as even an adherence to um diversity and inclusion as it relates to corporations and generally yep. broader culture. One of the things that I've said before is that, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time in terms of developing and dedicating resources to each area because they're all very important. Mathieu, have you seen um, a prioritization of, if we look at the E versus the S versus the G, we know that in many cases they are interrelated, but do we see um, a need to prioritize one or do we see a response as one is being prioritized over the other in terms of what you're seeing in the different markets that you're doing business in? Well, that's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tricky one, you know, to, uh, you know, to prioritize. I would like to say no. Uh, obviously they are being tackled in different, in different, uh, in different ways. And as we're seeing, Kisa, you know, effectively it depends, uh, uh, very often on, on, on geography. So, uh, you know, our job as asset manager is to make sure that we are counterparty, a legitimate counterparty for uh, uh, global allocators, okay, for asset gatherers. So you've got the, here in the U.S., the public pension funds, some insurance companies, some endowments. Uh, let's take the big retirement plans uh, or insurance company in Europe. And all those allocators, you know, the guy, who, I mean, the, the, these companies are effectively accumulating savings. And remember that savings have increased dramatically over the past 10 years, let's say, you know, since the big GFC and the accumulating monetary policies. Those investors have some boards, okay? They have a board of trustees, they have, you know, a board of directors, and they're taking some macro uh, views, macro allocation to say, you know, we need to increase our, let's say, impact lending or climate change uh, private equity uh, uh, investment by 5%, by 10%. And because they're managing billions of uh, of money and that very often they don't have the in-house investment team, they are turning to uh, uh, external asset managers, you know, like us. And that's what we're trying to, uh, we're trying to, uh, uh, to leverage, you know, this position. And so by having, I think, a way to answer your question, Kisa, is that you should never take a one-size-fits-all approach. You know, here's my ESG fund, here's my climate change, here's my energy transition fund, because because the reality of the investment criteria or what allocators are trying to pursue, you know, in their in their allocation goals are very bespoke. And I think that's you know that that's why I think it's a great you know opportunity for uh, for the years to come is to be able to be bespoke, to make sure that you have the platform as a manager, as an originator, to meet, you know, the needs and the and the goals. And, and I guess it's a way to answer your question. I mean, you're not prioritizing the E, the S, or the G, but you're trying to have a bespoke approach so that you meet the goals and the objectives of your uh, of your clients of the of the allocator, while making sure that you uh, uh, you're still selectively deploying, you know, this. Uh, this capital and uh you know I, I would just you know add one last thing if i make his size you know all these 
all these themes around ESG, uh, uh, I would not lose sight of what should be the first governance principle for an asset manager pretending to uh, help you deploy in that field is to have a second to non alignment of interest. I think that having the manager fully aligned with its clients, you know, with its investors is the first principle of ESG. So uh, bespoke approach, alignment of interest, and you won't have to choose between the, e, the EDS and the G. Wow, I really appreciate that. So the, the bespoke piece, I really um, think that that definitely applies to the next question, too. We know that um, there are bespoke needs for each situation, but there's also a need to understand externalities, too, right? So what's going on um, in the marketplace to help clients meet the goal that they're trying to meet? We're in a low interest rate environment in the U.S. and Europe now, as we said earlier. But, Matthew, when this shifts, because it's probably a matter of when, um, not if, when this shifts, what are the top three things you expect to happen in the credit area that people will need to be aware of? Well, that's, uh, that's a great, uh, great theme to, uh, to tackle, Kisa, because um, effectively we've been uh, operating for the past, you know, for the past, let's say, again, 10 years, 12 years, right, since the, uh, the GFC in a very accommodating uh, uh, monetary policy environment, and and by the way, it has been increasing on the back of uh, obviously of uh, the pandemic, right? And uh, and, and again, the extremely uh, constructive move by the uh, uh, by, by by the central banks. So I think that some of us, uh, hopefully not all of us, have lost uh, a lot. Have lost sight that. Uh, uh, you know, when you're operating in a very low, if not negative, you know, for the Europeans and the, uh, and, and, and the Japanese and the Asian, in a very low interest rate, uh, uh, environment, uh, and by the way, we might be, you know, lower for longer, we tend to forget that, you know, money has some, some value, right? I like to say that, you know, when, uh, you know, when money has no value, investment has no merits. And so there's been a little bit of, you know, you throw the dices and it's double six, you know, uh, all the time because there was this uh, very indiscriminating, uh, uh, indiscriminating interest rates uh, uh, environment. My concern is the following, Kisa, that as we've been saying, there are more and more uh, stakeholders. So I can think of banks. I can think of uh, the, the, the bond market, the public bond market, the debt capital market who are becoming increasingly uh, focused and vigilant on this uh, very uh, uh, topic of, uh, of ESG. And so borrowers who've been trying to tap the debt market in a, in a very ample you know, li- liquidity uh, scenario uh, uh, might be uh, uh, caught by surprise uh, when effectively this liquidity dries up, either because, you know, there is a tightening in interest rates. I mean, we saw recently the, you know, the, the direction that the Fed is, uh, is going here and whoever is not ready when that happens will be, will be between a rock and a hot, uh, and a hot place, as you say, because, uh, 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 then the market will become extremely discriminating. So whoever is not ready to meet this ESG criteria, you know, from a, from a lending market standpoint, from a bank market, a debt market, you know, could wake up with a little hangover, if you allow me the uh, the expression. So, you know, we are 
uh, ourselves, we benefited. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, uh, when it comes to TKO Capital, we're a publicly traded company. We're investment grade rated. Uh, we had few uh, outstanding bonds, and uh, uh, last month we issued uh, the first sustainable bond for a European asset manager. It's a you know eight-year bond. We benefited from a attractive you know one and one and five eight you know, coupon. And why do we get access to this funding is because we took some commitment vis-a-vis our investors or bondholders that we will meet some uh, extra financial targets when it comes to our ESG commitment and uh, uh, ESG target in terms of deployment. So you see that you, you've got a whole part of the market which is now giving credit, uh, it's, you know, if I may say, to the people who are taking this type of commitment. And w- w- what was uh, a few years ago and even you know, a few months ago, the exception is becoming the norm and the debt. Mar- I mean, you see more and more banks, you know, uh, retrenching from certain sectors, certain industry. So the cost of funding you know, is increasing, is increasing dramatically for this industry. Uh, uh, and again, you know, that's will be an impact on the return on equity. So whoever is not ready for when the market, for when the market and the liquidity dries up, will have some, uh, you know, will have some issues. So uh, I didn't give you three things, Kisa. I gave you, I gave you just one, but one that, uh, in my view, will be very critical. But one, yes, the most important, um, possibly we can even add. So very great, great information here in terms of ESG as it relates to PE. Um, we definitely see more opportunities than challenges there because um, many entrepreneurs recognize the importance of ESG. Even as we talk about the credit markets, they understand that when you reduce your cost of funding and also um, your return on equity improves, and this is what happens when ESG really is at the center and is part of the decision-making there. And also, as we enter in or expect a different sort of interest rate environment um, in the U.S., in Europe, and parts of Asia, the market will become more discriminating, and putting ESG in the mix and really meeting those ESG needs can be something that can really help um, help them, as you said, Matteo, um, get from between the rock and the hard place. We'll just stick with that uh, theme right now. Thank you so much for your time. What a great conversation. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kisa. Thank you. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.